welcome to Baseball Barbecue, the only podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network with the gumption, the audacity, and the guts to steal home in the World Series. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Jordan, the baseball season rolls on. It does indeed. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, We have a lot to talk about, obviously, but most importantly, I feel very thankful that we will be heading to a game six on Tuesday because when you last heard from us here on this great podcast feed, we didn't know if it would be over, if the Los Angeles Dodgers would be World Series champions, if the Tampa Bay Rays would be World Series champions, but no, in fact, we have more baseball to get to, but we have to catch everybody up, of course, Uh, so before we get to all that. Let's take a quick breath. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Okay, Jake Mintz. How was your we weekend? Had, we had three baseball games. How, how was your weekend? Oh, it was fine. It was, it was did okay. you do anything non-baseball related? Uh, did I do anything non-baseball related? Uh, yeah, I mean, there were m- many hours leading up to the baseball games. Um, Saturday <laughs> was like a fairly normal day because Friday was a fairly normal game. I didn't know what I was getting into yeah. on Saturday night. So I was just hanging out, hanging out with the fam, doing Craziest some reading. Saturday night I've had in a long time, <laughs> oh, honestly. By far, by, by nice. a long shot, by a long shot. So obviously- like, I didn't, I didn't yeah. have a single alcoholic beverage on Saturday night and I woke up hung over on Sunday morning just because of what happened. But we'll, you're right. We'll get to that. Let's first start with boring game three yes. uh, with the series tied one to one. Really not a lot to cover here. The Dodgers knocked Charlie Morton around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walker Bueller was freaking locked in and was mm-hmm. absolutely nails. And the Dodgers just flat out beat Tampa in game three. Yeah, that was it. they they were better. Uh, of course, we still had a dramatic Randy Rosarena home run against Kenley in the ninth. Uh, but it was far too late for that to make a difference in the outcome. This was the Austin Barnes game where he had uh, both a a a squeeze bunt for a run as well as a home run himself. Um, but in general, this was not close. This was the Dodgers looking like a better team. John Curtis, congratulations. The pitch you threw to Austin Barnes is officially the worst pitch thrown of the postseason. Go back and watch oh. it, everybody. It, I laughed my ass if off you take if you take one thing from this podcast it's go back and watch the austin barnes home run all right let's <laughs> obviously <laughs> that's we're not going to spend too much time on game three the dodgers won walker bueller looked great um and that's of course going to be relevant if we get to game seven but we got to get to game four i know we had the game last night and of course we're going to talk more about that in whole but game four an instant classic. There were so many moments from Saturday night that we could talk about, but we have to zoom into the ending because that is truly a moment that I will never forget in my life. It is one of the most incredible baseball finishes of any game in any context that I've ever seen, let alone the World Series. Uh, so how are we going to go ahead and, and break this down? Okay, so before we do what we're going to call the Dodgers blame pie chart, uh I want to make two quick other points. One is that the Corey Seager single uh, before that gave the Dodgers the lead was hilarious. Seager, who had homered earlier in that game already, is was just he's comically locked in and everything he's hitting is hard. And for that to be what at the time we thought was like the pivotal hit of the World Series to like just be a little dink bloop over the shortstop's head is just a hilarious baseball. I got to say, and that whole game was so back and forth. And the Rays at that point had homered in four consecutive innings, which I think is the first time that that happened in World Series history. When that Seager hit falls in, I was like, damn it, this series is ending on Sunday. I was like, I was like, if that's falling in for Corey Seager, this shit is over, man. Like he had four hits. Turner had four hits. It was just like, okay, the Dodgers have finally figured it out. But no, but no, but no, (laughs) but no, that is not what happened because the bottom of the ninth was truly one uh, for the for for everyone's lifetime, let alone the people actually involved. All right. So, of course, you've all seen it by now. Yes. Three key moments. Three key moments in the ninth. The bottom of the ninth. Go ahead. Okay. 
basically, I honestly, this is what's so funny, right? I've rewatched the last play a thousand times, but I don't know how there were outs. Like, oh, I don't remember the outs I, was a fly out. I remember very vividly. Okay. So my beloved Mike Zanino gets pinch hit for by Yoshi Tsutsugo, who immediately strikes out. And I'm like, look, at least Mike, Mike Zanino could have struck out. At least I would have gotten to watch Mike Zanino mm-hmm. more. So I was He's a little bit bummed that. about that. Right. Then we get Kevin Kiermeyer getting his bat absolutely blasted into oblivion and that ball falling in, which was only fitting after the Seeger hit, although this was even more extreme because his bat exploded and he carried the handle uh, to first. And then there are a lot of comments from Kenley after the game. Oh, no hard hits. Joey Wendell lines one 98 miles an hour, officially a hard hit ball to center field. Just Smokes to line one. Smokes one. So Joey will on. Okay, but now we got two outs and, we and, got a two. Runner, and a runner on first base with God, literally God in baseball cleats walking to the plate in the form of Randy Rosarena. Take and this here. was the moment, right? This was Randy's the winning run. If he hits a home run, it's a, a top three postseason moment of all time just how locked in he was against Kenley in that spot. And this is what is so great about this moment as a whole, is that the game is on the line and the hitting team is losing with a chance to win, right? It is about you can lose the game or win the game with a single swing. There's the middle ground of Thailand. Ooh, that was kind of, I didn't even try and do that. There's Nicely, like done. You could, Nicely done. You could tie it in the middle, right? But what was great about this is that the game was going to be won or lost, full stop, right? Right, right. Iconic at bat. Kenley gets up early on Randy, and Randy battles him, and Kenley's like kind of pitching around him, and Randy fouls off a couple good pitches on 3-2, and then he walks. And it's like, you know what? That makes sense. That makes sense. Because on deck, especially because on deck is Brett Phillips, who has not had a hit in a month. The only reason he is hitting is because he pinch ran for G-Man Choi, I believe the inning before, uh, yeah, the inning before, right? So it's not like this was like way long ago, but this game was so crazy that the Rays basically used every single person on their roster. Except for but Michael it, Perez. Except for Michael Perez, <laughs> who I will get to here in, in a moment. Ooh. But yeah, I have a Michael Perez note here. Imagine that. Okay. Uh, Brett Phillips, who again, a 202 career hitter in the major leagues, known more for his ridiculous laugh and the fact that he had been traded already three times in his career. Uh, Brett Phillips, with, also yeah. a first ballot, everyone seems to know this guy, guy. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. go around the baseball world, whether it's players, broadcasters, media, everyone's had a Brett Phillips interaction. And so like when he eventually does what we're about to say he does, it was like this very cool level of celebratory. Yes. Everybody was rooting for Brett Phillips in this spot. But obviously, when you're watching this and I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, my God, Brett Phillips. Love this dude. I'm so excited for him. There is no chance that this is happening. (laughs) I was like, but also I was like, but of course this is what would happen. All right. So he goes down 0-2, two pitches that are not strikes. Great strike zone all night. And then suddenly against Brett Phillips, Kenley gets two calls of balls slightly out of the zone. He gets two strikes on him. And now it's like, all right, well. I mean, tough spot for Brett Phillips. They zoom in on Brett's face and he's like, I mean, obviously he's not in any position to be like, come on up. Like, that's not a strike because he's Brett Phillips. He's not going to do that. One, he's a nice person. And two, it's not like he's Miguel Cabrera and can look back and be like, you're wrong up. (laughs) So, So here he is in his first career World Series at bat, which like, duh. I don't know why they flashed that up. It's like, yeah, obviously this is his first career World Series at bat. Uh, And then he flares one into center field. Very normal thing. A hit to center that's going to tie the game, right? At that point, it's already unbelievable. You you cut it there. Taylor picks it up. Oh, my God. Brett Phillips has tied the game. Let's say the Rays go on to win on some normal play. Amazing. Amazing moment. Brett Phillips is the hero. Yes. Chris Taylor doesn't pick it up. Taylor bobbles it. He takes his eye off the baseball. It skips away. He picks it up, hurls it in to Max Muncy. Uh, who relays it to home where Randy Rosarena sits uh, about 10 feet away on the ground. Uh, however, Will Smith is unable to corral the throw for Muncie. It skips away. Rosarena s- turns around, slides into home, slaps home a thousand times, and the Rays win the baseball game. It was incredible. It was iconic. It will live in baseball history forever. Jordan, whose fault is it? 
All right. So there were so many. Now, I know the official uh, ruling on the field is one error charged to Chris Taylor. But since we have now all watched this play 100,000 million freaking times, uh, there is a lot to blame to go around. And by the way, Dodgers fans, if you're listening to this and saying, we're over this, we're up 3-2. Of course, we're going to get to game five. The whole reason that we want to zoom in on this, especially, is that the this is the reason we're still even talking because the Dodgers didn't win and we still have another baseball game. Okay, and obviously, it's one of the craziest plays ever. All right, so we want to assign 100% of the blame for this final play to all the Dodgers involved. Now, I will say, you could definitely blame other parts of the Dodgers, like maybe Dave Roberts or maybe Pedro Baez or maybe other teams, but there was so much shit going on before. We're going to zoom we're in on just inning. this play. Just this yeah. inning, okay? So here is who we can assign the blame to. Kenley Jansen, Will Smith, Max Muncy, Chris Taylor. Is there anyone else who who can get blamed? Do we want to... I mean, by the way, this also shouldn't take credit away from Brett Phillips, of course. Of course. <laughs> or Randy. Uh, I have Dave Roberts blame. Okay, here. you have Dave Roberts blame here. Okay, all right. All right, so so let's begin with the the highest percentage of blame in the in the blame pie chart. Who are we going to to give? For, I would for this, give for this play the result of this play. I would give forty five percent of the blame to Chris Taylor. Good, good call. I honestly might even go higher than that. I might go uh, higher too. Yeah, let's okay, do fifty five percent. Fifty five percent. We're going to go fifty five percent to Chris Taylor and explain why he is at the top of the list. Couple reasons. Number one, he drops the fucking baseball. That's it. This play ties the game if he doesn't drop the baseball. It that's it. That's a huge. There is part of no it. way that Randy is being sent if he just picks it up like a normal center fielder. There's no right. way. There's no okay. way. That's I would say that accounts for fifty percent, and then the, the other five percent is that the throw is offline. So oh, oh yes, whether yes. or not the throw was supposed to be cut off, wasn't supposed to be cut off. It was not a good throw, plain and simple. If he takes the ball and he throws it simply to home. Right to Will Smith. Randy's out. Randy's out. Right? Yeah. Because he fell okay. down. Because he fell down. Okay. <laughs> right. That's 55% of the blame. Okay. Right so there. now we have, I don't we, think... have 40, we have 45 remaining uh, to assign to our, our three c contributors here. Who is number two here? Very interested to see uh, who, who you go here for number two. Will Smith. I think Will it Smith is, is Will Smith two. as well. I think Will Smith is, I might even go as high as 25%. I would say 25%. Yeah. Okay. Twenty-five percent. So now uh, we are up to eighty percent of the blame has been assigned. Will Smith, twenty-five percent. Why is Will Smith number two on the blame chart? He didn't catch the baseball. Now, isn't he the catcher? He's the catcher. He's not the not catcher. He's not the dropper back there. Okay. He had. There are two main mistakes. I would actually say maybe three main mistakes. Now, this whole play is just a fundamental breakdown. So when you're learning to play baseball in high school and college and the minors, whatever. You do drills like this thousands and thousands of times that it's literally drilled into your brain. Like, you know what the fundamentals are in these moments. And whether because major league teams literally just don't practice often because they're playing every day mm -hmm. um, or it's been, you know, eight years since spring training, mm -hmm. um, who knows? But what's supposed to happen is Will Smith, like, he needs to be lining up Max Muncy on the throw. Right. There should be a straight line between Chris Taylor, Max Muncy, and Will Smith. And there wasn't. So that's like a little tiny inside baseball 5% blame. He drops the ball. That's, I would say, the other 15% of the blame. <laughs> and if you watch the play, mm -hmm. he is located about a foot to two feet to the right of home when Muncy begins to throw. And as Muncy does his throwing motion, he shuffles back towards home. And it makes the throw look offline because he moved his body positioning. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's 25. That's another 5%. So 15 for dropping the freaking baseball, five for poor alignment of his cutoff man, and five for his own poor alignment. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, because ultimately, let's talk about Muncie quickly before we get to Kenley. Because I think Muncie, we, we, we believe, is at the bottom. Was it a great throw to Will Smith? No, it wasn't. Was it an uncatchable throw? It also was not, right? And so, yes, you can zoom in and be like, they're always be like, oh, he threw him a changeup. Like, no, it is a tougher throw than you'd think because, first of all, Muncie was very close to him. It's not like he was standing back at first base and he could just let it eat from back there and throw it as hard as he could. He clearly had to adjust. But at the same time, the ball was catchable. This is not because Muncie didn't throw it. 
to Will Smith. He didn't throw it over him. He didn't throw it way to the left. Like it was a catchable ball. So Muncie, I'm going to give a 3% blame for this just because the ball could have been, I mean, yeah, a better throw should be at least up the line, which it was not at all, (laughs) or at least in the third baseline, which it was not. It was behind. All right. So then we have 17% blame remaining. Yes. And I would assign 15% of that blame to Kenley Jansen. Mm -hmm. No more, no less. Uh, Kenley has blown some saves over the years, and I believe it is his third or fourth of the postseason. This specific one, not his fault. Okay, here's how he went to go blow this game. Ready? A broken bat flare that it was a great pitch. He walked the hottest hitter on planet Earth on seven or eight pitches after a really intense battle. And then he got a cutter that like missed by two inches to Brett Phillips that like if the infield is positioned slightly differently, like it's the end of the game. Right. right. Uh, In the pantheon of Kenley Jansen, not closing it out in big moments. This one is not a big one. Should he have been backing up the base? Yes, but I still don't think it matters because I think the second the ball gets away, first of all, Kenley wouldn't have been where the ball got away to because it wasn't like Muncie threw it past over. He didn't throw it over. He He would have been ricocheted off Will Smith's glove and then bounded away to the right. And Kenley would have been directly behind the catcher Yes. In line with that throw. So if so, the ball skips away like it did, Kenley's not there to pick it up. Should he have been backing it up? Yeah, sure. But it wouldn't have made a difference. Right. The only reason people are noticing that is because they've watched it 100,000 times. And and because it looks weird that he's basically just like standing in front of the play, kind of flailing around. Like, yeah, he should have been backing up. It would not have made a difference. I think Randy's still safe. So you can blame him for that because, yes, 95% of the time when the ball's hit the outfield, you'll see the pitcher run because that's his job. Uh, and he didn't do that. <laughs> in fact, when you watch the replay, he literally drops to his knees on the mound um, because I assume at that point, too, he's just like, well, fuck, the game's tied. Like, I just fucked up and there's not going to be a play at the plate. So whatever. Um, but yeah, still. So so that doesn't matter, though. It didn't affect the outcome. Yeah, but I as far as he I thought he pitched fine. Like, he, yes. he wasn't wild. Yes. He didn't leave anything over the plate. Like, he didn't give right. up a massive tater. So that's why he gets 15 percent. Jordan, right. Yes. We have 2 percent blame remaining, I believe. Yes, we do. <laughs> I'm going to give this to Dave Roberts. Let's do it. Let's do it. Why is Mookie Betts not in center field? Mm. Now, I understand that Chris Taylor has played a lot more center field than Mookie Betts, which, again, doesn't make sense because have you watched Mookie Betts play the outfield? (laughs) Right. I just, I think if you're going to shuffle this deck around, I would want Mookie in center. And maybe this is hindsight is 2020. And yeah, you have a skeptical I, look on your face. But I, like I struggle with this because like this is not to say that I don't believe that Mookie Betts could or is a great center fielder or could be. But like this was a really weird reaction for me. I, I don't really buy this because like Mookie didn't play center in Boston because Jackie Bradley Jr. was also happened to be one of the best center fielders in the world. So that they didn't bother with him there. And like Mookie has played center in the majors, and I'm sure he's been good. But I that's not that was not my reaction to this. Like, I don't think maybe he was less likely to fuck up than Taylor on that. Yeah, sure, because Mookie's the better baseball player, but I don't really buy that reaction. I don't think that had really anything to do with it. So I'm gonna push you. You don't think that's two percent? But I I will say the two percent, if we are gonna go back earlier in the game, like there were just some mistakes that should have happened, of course, leaving bias in, leaving whatever. We're not going to go over all those uh, that maybe led to a d- more difficult situation for the Dodgers to be closing this out uh, in the first place, right? Because, oh, you know, the, the, the dominoes are always stacking up and leading to the situation where Kenley had to face Randy instead of Kenley had to face, you know, so-and-so. So whatever. So I think we can still give Dave Roberts some of it. Uh, I don't think it's because, because, okay, here's here's the main point. Was anybody saying Mookie should be playing center before the game? No. No, no you're no, right. No, no one was saying that. No one was going to say that. So, so people, uh, now, now again, six, it is relevant. It is relevant because Bellinger was scratched before the game, right? You could say yeah. it should, should have been Bellinger because Bellinger pulled himself because he was injured. So, um, but no, I, I'm going to push back on that. Anyway, uh, all right. Six, six different uh, Dodgers played center field uh, this year in 2020. Uh, Cody Bellinger, AJ Pollock, Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor played six games in center. Kike had three. Mookie had one game in center and Terrence Gore had one game. So I would say Terrence Gore should have been in center field for that. You're right. You're right. I don't know why he was on those rosters earlier in the postseason. I don't know why they didn't uh, have him on there. Last, uh, okay. last point about this incredible play. Yes. Actually, sorry, two more. Number one, Randy Rosarain. I tweeted this. 
But Randy Rosarena, most athletic fall of all time. If you or I or your friends and family were sprinting full speed around third base and we ate shit and fell on our face, we would not be able to spring back up like that. He falls and he just lands on his feet in like a triple threat basketball position, like ready to make an athletic move. And that's mm-hmm. what allows him to score. And then, do you have something to say about that? Yeah. But no, go ahead. Go ahead. I have one more. And point. then I want to shout out the Rays third base coach. Oh, yes. Rodney Linares. Yes. Rodney Linares. Because if the throw is average, Randy is dead to rights at home, like <laughs> nailed at home, like by a mile. And I love the send in that spot from the third base coach because the Rays are playing fuck it levels of aggressive baseball. And like you send a guy in that spot hoping for a mistake, right? Yeah. And like process versus outcome, et cetera, et cetera. But just the the, the the guts to send him there is so cool. Well, he sent him because of the original mistake from Taylor. Of course. And then, but like you said, though, he was banking on another mistake, right? He doubled down and not only and he did he get the mistake, he got Randy falling down and still, it still worked out. So there you go. That's good. That's, that's uh, getting some credit for that. I wish Rodney Linares had been the Royals third base coach in game seven of the 2014 World Series and had sent Alex Gordon on that play. All right. Oh, that's game we needed four. it. We needed it. Uh, all right. The last thing for me uh, on this play is that obviously we've all watched it a million times. And I just want to shout out the incredible cinematography done by the MLB social team. If you watch on the ad MLB accounts, they have they had this was last postseason also during the Nationals run. They had some unbelievable shots. So I obviously if you haven't seen those, those are amazing. But the reason I want to talk about these is because there's one shot that is basically of the Rays dugout from the moment contact is made until Randy scores. And the best thing about this shot is Michael Perez, okay, the backup catcher. Now remember Michael Perez in this spot. Michael Perez is going to have to come into this game if it is tied because Yoshi Tsutsugo just pinch hit for Mike Zanino. So you see Michael Perez on the top step. And when Kiermaier comes around to score, he assumes that the game is tied and he has to go get his gear on. Amazing. So you see him start walking. Everyone else is going crazy, right? You see him like fist bump and then start going down the steps because he's going to go start getting ready because he doesn't know the game time. Then he sees Randy fall. Then he comes back up. Then he goes back down because Randy falls. Then he comes back up because Randy scores again because he's like, oh, wait, I don't have to work. (laughs) It's just an incredible thing. So I encourage everyone to go watch that clip. Uh, We retweeted it. It is He's the only person, right? Everybody else in the, no one else is thinking about the next inning except for the catcher who's going to have to come in. Here on Baseball Barbecue, We find a way to talk about the only player on the Rays who did not play in the goddamn baseball game. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. welcome. Okay, Jake, let's move on because we've already been talking for 20 minutes and we haven't gotten to where we are in this actual series. And all of that negative energy that we just heaped on the Dodgers, it didn't matter, Jordan Schusterman, because the LA men, they came out game five and they turned a new page, Jordan. All the cliches you want. They went out and they won game five. They're up three to two. Let's talk about cliche. Yes. So after this heart-wrenching catastrophe uh, on Saturday night, like, I mean, this happens in sports all the time, right? You you have a major fuck up. But in baseball, particularly in baseball, really only in baseball because every other sport, you have an off day the next day, right? But in baseball, oftentimes you have a game the next day. And so Dave Roberts and Corey Seager and all the guys, Kenley Jansen, they get to go to their press conference after the game and say, hey, like, yeah, this hurts. Just got to flush it. Just got to turn the page. What's your favorite cliche? Just got to move you on. Like just fl- got Flush it? I, I think uh, between flush turn it and turn the page, what, what, what do you think accomplishes the, the putting it behind you more? Flushing it or turning the page? I think flushing it. Because when you yeah. flush something, you're not seeing that anymore. When you so, turn the page, it's still right there. It's still on that page before. It's on the last page. <laughs> One time in college, we had a really tough loss, and I took the lineup card from the loss and recorded myself flushing it down the toilet and sent it to the whole team. There you go. There you go. So I so you're with Gotta me. Gotta flush right? it. 
flushing it is, is the way to go. Now, obviously, as cheesy as that all is, like it is very true. In baseball, you don't have to do it, deal with it. Because okay. you get to play the next night. All the clean I've heard it a million times, but he let me let me make this point for you. Okay. You have a really bad day at work. Okay. You come in the next day and you're bummed. You're all your friends are bummed. Your coworkers, they're in a bad mood. Your boss is fucking pissed. Everyone you work with just had like a bottom 15 day of their life, probably, relatively. And like, you got to go out there and do the exact same thing again. That's not easy. It's not easy to just go do your job when you're in a bad mood. When I'm yeah. in a bad mood, I don't want to record this podcast. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, and I think that it's very easy to get lost in it because in a lot of ways, like the players, especially in baseball, are what their outcomes are. And I think we at times lose sight of that. There are people reacting to moments too. In the same way that, you know, every Dodgers fan had that extra, what I call postseason organ that vibrates and wants to vomit like during October, every Dodgers player has that, but they also have shame, right? But then they come out the next day and like, you know, first inning, 2-0 over the rate. <laughs> right. And that is so, what? so, 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 so impressive. We would crumble. All yeah. of us would crumble. All of us would crumble. And the fact that they were able to hop back in and 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 really just again, once again, look like the better team uh in game five. So let's let's talk about game five. Uh we're just gonna do a, a quick recap and we'll zoom in when we feel like we need to zoom in. Again, Glass now versus Kershaw. You know, Kershaw was awesome in game one. Glass now was a mess, but still threw 112 pitches. Now it's it, basically the game starts and it's looking like it's gonna be the exact same thing. Glass now is a mess. Dodgers go up two nothing. Mookie immediately doubles after going 0 for 5. Uh, in game four, Seager with yet another hit because it's impossible to get him out. Bellinger RBI single. Jock hits a just gigantic oppo homer. I want to talk about the Seager base running quickly. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Uh, in the first inning, he takes second and third on two balls that don't skip away that far from Zunino. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just really good baseball, man. Like, yeah. as bad as the fundamental play, the fundamentals were on the final play in game four, this is called reading down angle reading dirt ball, right? Like if you see the pitcher throw it and it like hits the catchers, like you're watching the ground. And as soon as you see the ball hit the ground, you take a couple steps. Mm-hmm. And Seager did that perfectly twice, right? And yeah. it got the Dodgers a run. Like it was yeah. a huge moment in that game. And Zanino is obviously known for his defense, known for his game calling, known for his framing, known for his blocking. They have been able to run on him. And that is something... That and, and but in this case it was it was still a read like Zanino still blocked the ball yeah. and Seager still had a great read so um yes I totally agree with you and that's just crazy again, jock bomb crazy jock bomb and again I think it helped to be batting first as we saw last series too when they were down against Atlanta they got to come out the next day and just put up eleven runs immediately before the Rays even start hitting same yeah. kind of vibe in this one Jock hits a huge oppo uh, oppo homer so now they're up three zero and it's like all right well Kershaw has a three zero lead in a World Series game. Can he hold it? And he looked good. And then starts getting a little dicey. Yandy. Sorry, Yandy. I keep going Yandy because it's Yandy Randy. So it's, it's a little tough. A little, yeah. little, it keeps confusing me. Yandy Diaz, RBI triple. Randy sets the record for most hits in a freaking postseason. Holy shit. We could do a whole podcast about Randy Rosarina. But I mean, that's what most podcasts are nowadays are about Randy Rosarena. So we're going to keep it generally low profile here. Swings, swings, at a curve, swings at a curveball above his eyes and just pulls it in the left <laughs> yes. field. Makes the game yes. three to two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then, and then and then Kershaw settles back in. Again, there were some there were some moments where it was like they were clearly pressuring him. I mean, he did not look that great after the second inning. No. Um, and then I guess we got to talk about Manny Margot. Uh, okay, let's talk about the fourth inning. So the yes. Rays get first and third, I believe, with no outs. And we, Wendell infield fly out, uh, Adamus strikes out, mm-hmm. and then you've got two outs runners in the corners, and Manny Margot on third base pulls off, or not pulls off, he's out, but he attempts the most audacious steal of home I've ever seen. Yes. It was a beautiful, beautiful baseball moment. Now, Stealing home is something that, I mean, there's just, no, there's really nothing like it. I can't think of really anything like it in, obviously, in baseball and certainly in sports. Um, and it, there's, because first of all, 
one of the best things about it is when you're watching it on TV, you know, we're seeing only part of it. We're, we're only seeing the panic of Will Smith standing up, right? We see the panic of Will Smith standing up and we see the panic of Kershaw and we see the runner entering the frame, mm-hmm. right? Which is uh, one of the few moments in baseball and in sports in general where we have to experience the game from a limited field of vision, right? Because we often get to see things that most players don't get to see from angles they don't get to see, whether it's the strike zone, whether it's, you know, uh, a ball in the outfield, right? Like we get to see the root of an outfielder kind of that they take like from a bird's eye view. But this is what Kershaw sees essentially. Um, now, Jordan, before we hop into it, you did not play competitive baseball. And even the uncompetitive baseball that you did play, uh, you would you would describe yourself as an outfielder, correct? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I want you to put yourself in Justin Turner's shoes right now. Okay, okay? third baseman. Third baseman, Justin Turner. Out of the corner of your eye, you see Manny Margot start to run home. Mm-hmm. What do you do? What are you doing? What are you saying? Because I, you have three to four seconds. What are you saying to Clayton Kershaw to get him to step off and throw it home with a, just any level of, con, of conviction and accuracy? I think it's some combination. First of all, this is harder because I'm behind him, right? Now, I don't know how many times people have stolen home on right-handers. Much harder. <laughs> Much harder, obviously, because you're staring right at him. Uh, but since Kershaw's not even looking at me, it needs to be something that he can hear and understand immediately, right? That's now, the thing, because Max Muncy, his job is relatively easy at first base because he's pointing he can just point. at home and he's he like- He can just point. Exactly. Right. He can just point. Now, he can, I'm sure he's screaming something too, right? So it's really, what am I yelling, right? What am I yelling? Yeah. Now, it's probably either, well, okay. So if I say he's going, he's going, he's going, there's also a guy in first. Right. So it's possible that he doesn't know who I'm talking about. He could be, I know he's, he's, you know, he's stretching, but maybe he sees it, but he's already looking at him. So he, maybe he knows that, but I don't know. I think I would, I think I would scream home, 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 but I'm not sure. Is there a correct answer? Not, it depends on the team. Like different teams have different words that they would use in that spot, but it is the type of thing where like, if you scream step off, you're not really relaying Right. Again, he's looking at first base, right? So yeah. anything you scream, there's an implication that the, you know, important thing happening is outside of his view. And so right. it's got to be the runner on third. And this is the thing. I'm not saying step off does not. I mean, listen, I know part of this play is not balking. So that's part of it. But like, I'm not saying step off because that's before that. I still have not given him the crucial information, <laughs> which is that someone is trying to steal hope. So I would be trying to yeah. expedite that info. Uh, I think as he, much as I could. I think he's I think you either scream home, 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 or you scream like he's going right. Yeah. But this is also interesting because if something like that happens to someone, you know, the first thing you're going to do is scream the pitcher's name. Be like, <laughs> right. yo, Clayton, like, right. hey, right. uh, right. you know, and then by that time, like he's safe. It's so I just right, think right. it's like a super interesting aspect yeah. of this that we don't think about is like, you have to scream the right thing because if Kershaw can't see this, you need to get him to understand what is happening in a second. Yes. In yes. one second. Right. And, and if you is- say the wrong thing, he won't get it. And according to, to Kershaw, it sounds like Muncie was the one. Of course, if you're looking at him, yeah. he's pointing. But no, you're right. I mean, this is on, on, on all the infielders there. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the actual play. So he he goes. Now, I don't know if we have clarification on whether Margot went on his own or not. I don't know if we got an answer about that. But the point is, is what Perfect he was doing. time to steal home Okay, for a so number of reasons. Our, our wonderful producer, Bobby Wagner, is saying uh, that Cash, Kevin Cash said that Margot did go on his own. Now, this is the perfect time to do it because Clayton Kershaw, we've all watched him a million times. He's thrown over, you know, 2,500 innings in his career, uh, postseason and regular season combined. He does this thing that very, very few other pitchers do where he puts his arms very, very high in the sky and then slowly lowers them down before he delivers the pitch. Now, he's also in this play looking and thinking about the guy on first base, right? Because his... Those are those are two of the components, right? Mm-hmm. Rand, uh, it's not Randy. Margot is on third. Uh, who's hitting? It's Kiermaier. 
Yep, Kiermaier's hitting and Renfro's on first. Kiermaier's hitting. He's a lefty. The Dodgers are in a shift to pull. What that means is that Justin Turner is like, you know, 10 to 15 feet off of third base, not holding Margot on at third. That allows Margot to get more of a leadoff on third and creep further down the line than he would have if it was a righty and Turner was closer. So if there's a righty hitting, he doesn't go. Kershaw as a lefty pitcher also means that his back is to the runner, which means he's not looking, which means he can get more of a leadoff. And Kershaw's movement, the way that he moves his hands, if at any point Kershaw throws home and breaks that movement, that really slow descent with his hands, if he throws and panics in that spot without stepping off, that's a balk, right? And so, like you said, for Kershaw to have the wherewithal in that situation to step off and then throw home instead of just getting rid of the ball as soon as he could, that's the and, key to the play. And again, for everyone in the moment, everyone was like, wow, Margot's insane. Like, that was about all the correct possible things you would need mm-hmm. on top of being crazy fast and a great base dealer and a great timing. Like, this was about as good of a go as you're ever going to find and why I would imagine no one can be that mad at him because this is exactly when you attempt this. Right. And the Rays and Kevin Cash said this, like, They want their players to feel empowered to do things like this. They want them to feel athletic. They want them to feel like they're in control of the game, right? And, you know, it's inches. It's inches and he's in there. If Kershaw, here's another thing. If Kershaw is at a different point with his hands, like if he is two inches further up with his hands, that's harder for him to get his arm down, back, and through. And that's the difference. If Kershaw looks at the runner, that's the difference. If the throw is another, you know, six inches to Will Smith's right, that's the difference. And so, like, when you gamble like this, you're counting on something to go wrong. And it's similar to the play in game four, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're pushing the issue. You're making them make a play. And was he out? Yes. Does it look like a boneheaded play in the box score? Yeah. But I loved this play. I thought it was good, aggressive baseball. And from an entertainment perspective, like, oh my as God. a non-Razor <laughs> Dodgers fan or employee, like, fuck yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you could argue, well, with would you rather that or Kevin Kiermaier with two outs? Like, I don't know. You probably would rather attempt that. So totally agree with you. Amazing play. Amazing moment. All right. Let's, again, we were talking La- a lot about Last the, thing. Yeah. They were talking about the two, last steal of home in the World Series in 2002. Oh, Brad yeah. Brad Fulmer I, with the Angels. <laughs> found the video. Super fucking lame. Yeah. So don't yeah. even. Do, it's yeah, like a I, totally different play. Yeah, this was an actual attempt, a, a true, real, like, he's going, he's going, he's going. So this was this was great. Okay, so he gets out. And, and again, though, once again, quite an escape. Amazing, uh, you know, play from Kershaw and Smith there to get out of that inning. And then, man, okay, so Muncie, now we go to top five. And Glasnow still in somehow. Okay, now Glasnow had been a mess. This is the same thing as before as game one, where mechanics all over the place. But like when you have two of the best pitches in the world, you can somehow get away with it. He's walking a ton of people and he's allowing huge homers, but somehow never at the same time. So <laughs> right. that so, that stroke of luck allowed Glass now to pitch into the fifth inning where like if he had allowed a huge home run in the first inning, this game is five to zero instead of two to zero. Right. And like exactly the solo shots in the second and the fifth also allow like the, it, it, it's that's the ordering of baseball that is super randomized but because he is the best shit in the world right. he goes back out there to face Seager Turner Muncie and I gotta give myself some credit I texted you an hour before I said I would leave him out there for Seager and Turner and then go to loop for Muncie they did not go to loop for Muncie strikes out Seager Turner flies out and then Max Muncie who we have to talk about here for a second because this freaking dude we all know the origin story, DFA'd by the A's and the Dodgers, like they make everybody an, an amazing hitter. He is the greatest, even more than Turner, I would say. Just the most obscene success story because it is not just that he figured out launch angle and how to hit the ball over the fence, right? That we see. We see guys do swing changes and stuff. His plate discipline is unfucking believable He swung at a pitch last night towards in his last at-bat where he chased out of the zone. And I was like, oh my God. What happened? Is he okay? Like, do, do we need to go check on him? Like, this dude is unbelievable when it's he's locked in. It's Votto-y, 
right now. It really is Joey Votto y, and he's up to 20 walks now in the postseason, which is absurd. Alberry Bonds is 27, but he's a different category. But 20 walks in one postseason is crazy on top of the huge homers he's been hitting. And Glass now tries to throw him two 98 mile an hour fastballs down the middle, and it's just not going to work when you're throwing to Max Monthly. This dude just absolutely does not miss and it is so impressive to watch and he honestly if you're wondering why the hell is the MVP batting sixth it's because Max Muncy is giving you a better at bat than Cody Bellinger every single time yeah Bellinger yeah. is the better baseball player but like I want Muncy in that spot over basically anybody like I would rather have Muncy than Seager when Seager's not this insanely not overall but like in terms of who I need hitting right now to give me a quality at bat when Seager's not this hot I would take Muncy over anybody else on the team Muncy doesn't Even give that Even away. Mookie. Yeah, there's a freaking hot take. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, yeah, but like Muncy does not give at bats away. Yeah. And when the game is on the line, you want a guy like that who's going to see seven pitches, right? It's and so if ridiculous. you get behind Muncy, you're fucked. Like we've seen that. Like <laughs> right. if you go down 3 1, 2 0 on him, like he's ready for your mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to be perfect. So he had that ball of the, to the ocean, Jordan. Like, yeah, he, he did. He, that oh, was a great in example. Dallas. Of, he hit he it and he knew it. He hit it and he knew it. All right. So they're up 4-2. And then the Kershaw moment that never came. So Kershaw gets through the fifth. He starts the sixth. He gets two pitches on two outs in the fifth inning. Sorry, in the sixth inning. Clayton Kershaw in October. Randy, like He gets Randy and Brandon Lau, the two and three hitters. Two pitches, two, two outs. The two scariest hitters. He gets them both to pop out, basically. And he's at 80 pitches. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Mm -hmm. And out walks Dave Roberts to take the ball from Kershaw. And the second you see Roberts, he, the crowd, the Dodgery crowd, boos Roberts like crazy. You see a shot of Justin Turner on the mound basically saying something to the lines of like, come on, he can get this motherfucker. Yep, Margot. Margot coming up. And... Kershaw kind of talks. It was way more chatter than the average you're done. Oh, yeah. Kershaw pushed back. Roberts pushed back. Turner pushed back. Roberts pushed back. Kershaw gave it one more go. And Roberts essentially had to drag him. He off like, the like he you could see him like kind of grab his hips and just like kind of shuffle him towards yeah, the dugout. Like, you're done. And it was such a surreal thing to watch because he's walking off the mound. And literally, Buck goes, and the Dodgers fans are booing for, you know, taking out Kershaw early in a postseason start. And I was like, where are we? I was like, what yeah. happened? We spent years of years. Kershaw being taken out a batter or two too late. And here it's a batter too early. And I was, was such say, a weird feeling. Definitely a batter too early. Like, debating the mechanics of that is, like, if you take the history of it all out of it, which you really can't, it's a batter too early, especially getting the first two guys on two pitches. Worst case scenario, Margot hits a home run and then you bring someone in, right? Like, whatever. Um, but Dave Roberts, I think he did the right thing. It I, I, is. He did. he did. And some of that is hindsight, obviously, but like, if this was 2011 Kershaw, I'd probably leave him in. <laughs> right but you have to remember what Clayton Kershaw is right now the yeah. team is not on his back anymore right and there's the name value the brand value of being Clayton Kershaw but he's not the same guy he's a great pitcher he's going to give you five and two-thirds innings and you have to be happy with that and look over the years we've been like Dave you got to go get him Don Mattingly you got to go get him and that's a hard thing to do to go out there and take the ball away from you know the guy with the most wins above replacement in the history of your franchise, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess in this moment, if we're going to hate on Roberts for all the mistakes he's made, I will give him credit for having the gumption, for having the confidence to go out there and take the ball from Kershaw. Yeah. No, I think it was the right move. Maybe you let him face Margot, but like would not want Renfro there. Um, and Margot had obviously already been seeing right. him well. Um, so and, I and think I will it was say, the right move. And and right, right. From like, an what, entertainment from an entertainment perspective, I wanted Kershaw out there to see if he could like do the thing. Right. But like, if you're a Dodgers fan, like this is the right move. Yeah. And, and like you say, yeah, sure. Of course we'd love to see him throw eight and really shut everybody up. But like, I still 
like he left and it was like, oh man, I wish he could have finished that inning at the very least. But like, I don't feel any, I don't think any less of him. Like he did exactly to his capabilities. He, he looked, he, he performed and delivered exactly what he was counted on to do. And that's really what we're asking. That's all we're asking, right? That's really what it is. Is are you delivering what we should be able to expect from you right now? And he did that in both games, both starts that he made. In 30 years, when I take my, you know, daughter or son to the hall of fame and I say, see right there, you see that plaque? You see where it says 2020 World Series on Clayton Kershaw? They're not going to say, but dad, he got pulled the batter too early in game five of the 2020 World Series. No, that's not going to happen, right? So no. like, to because me- Because honestly, it looks, the fact that he pulled early, when you go back and look at the game logs, it's the opposite of when you go back and you look at what happened right. the five times he was pulled the batter too late and his numbers look worse because the freaking relievers came in and gave up the runs, right? So yeah. it's, it is just- in the moment, for those five seconds, you're like, no, let him do it. But then immediately, I was like, I'm so glad that this is happening. Yeah. This is, I, this is just, every, this is better. This episode of Baseball Barbecue is brought to you by FanDuel. We've got to tell you about our favorite new bet concept this season. We've been playing same-game parlays on FanDuel Sportsbook, and they're pretty simple. All you have to do is combine multiple bets from one game into a single parlay. This way, the payouts are even bigger when you win. And FanDuel will refund the first same-game parlay you lose on any NFL or World Series game each week up to $10. That means you can bet a different parlay risk-free. I'm taking a look at some of the same-game parlays available for Game 6 of the World Series, and I see that the Rays are not favored in this game, which seems crazy because the Dodgers are about to use a million pitchers. So I'm looking at the Rays plus one and a half at minus 158 and the over for total runs at eight. Eight. Oh, there's definitely going to be more runs than eight in this game. That is a that is an absolute stone cold lock. Plus Rays plus one and a half over eight total runs. It is a lock. There's no way I'm going to be wrong, even though I was wrong about the last one I told you guys. But trust me, this is the one that will be correct. With your first NFL or World Series same game parlay of the week, you'll get 10 bucks back if we don't win. Now there is one catch. FanDuel is the only sportsbook app that has these same game parlays. So if you don't already have a FanDuel account, just use promo code BBQ. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code BBQ. Must be 21 and up present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, or Tennessee. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund $10. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois. Tennessee uh, red line 1-800-889-9789 or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. I want to talk about Dave Roberts for a second and the mechanics of managing a baseball team versus other sports, okay? In other sports, personnel decisions are either one, made before the game or two, blatantly obvious, right? In football, it's not like, all right, fourth quarter, my quarterback is exhausted. I'm going to bring in the backup for in this <laughs> Super Bowl, you know? Right. Like, yeah, right. they're doing great, but they look really gassed, you know? Right. And just because of how baseball works, you have to do that. In basketball, at the end of the game, yeah, there's like maybe some hand wringing over like who should be the fifth guy on the floor, but like- right. It's the last five minutes of a Lakers game. LeBron's on the floor. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what's going to happen. You, you get to go to happen. your best player every time. That's never a question. 100%. And the personnel decisions that you have to make in baseball and big moments dictate the outcome of the game more than any other sport, right? Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't envy that, man. Like, like, that's really hard to do. And I understand that these guys get paid a lot of money to run the, to be managers, et cetera, et cetera. But just when you compare it to other sports, I don't think you can at all. Like, I just think it's such a different level of control. And mm -hmm. that's why they're managers, I guess. Yeah. Right. And they're also managing the game as Yankees fans, know, like particularly managing really good teams. Now, the thing is, is that for the Dodgers, once you take Kershaw out, part of the stress about it and why people want Kershaw to go another batter is that no one trusts anyone in the Dodgers bullpen right now, right? And so when May comes in, who he looks, he's looked terrible lately, you're like, well, why is May coming in? But then it's like, who do you want, right? And then Gonzalez comes in and he looks good, but then he looks not as good as he normally does. And then it's trying and it's great. like, well, May look great, right? And so the other thing is, is it's even crazier when you have to manage 
the options that you have when they're not as good as the rest of your team, right? And the Dodgers are a great example mm-hmm. of that. But bullpens in general are a great example of that. We see so many superstar, unbelievably loaded franchises with Hall of Famers up and down the roster. And like at some point, the manager has to end, finish the game. And if Kenley Jansen's unavailable, and if Kenley Jansen's not what Kenley Jansen used to be, and you have a bunch of rookies and a bunch of you know matchup guys, like it is so 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 hard. And honestly, goes to what is so impressive about Kevin Cash and what the Rays do. Um, and they don't always get it right either. And I think as fans, it's easier to get riled up about what a manager's decision making is, because like we think we can do that, right? Like you and I, Jordan, if we really needed to could put on a uniform at any given day and like push the buttons of the relievers at certain times. I don't think we would do it well, but like we could go and do it in a random regular season game and not embarrass ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. We cannot go out there and hit a fastball. We can't play shortstop. We can't steal a base, right? So we it's harder to get riled up about physical mistakes that players make because it's so inconceivable that the normal average human being could ever do something like that. Whereas with Dave Roberts's decision-making, the only difference between us and Dave Roberts is Dave Roberts has been in the game of baseball for, you know, his whole right. 40 years of his life. And like, right. but like the actual a, decisions that he's making feel like any of us could make that. Decision. I could do and that. obviously it's not that simple, right? Exactly. Um, but, but you're right. You're so right that, that we, that's why it's easier to trick ourselves into thinking we know best. Um, and then, of course, in some cases, like, yeah, there are we some objectively bad decisions that are being made by managers. That does happen. We've seen that from Dave Roberts many times from every manager. Right. So, yeah, no, it's 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 a really good point. Um, it's just easier to get mad at Dave Roberts for bad bullpen management than it is at Chris Taylor for dropping a ball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so but he but he gets it done. And and fortunately, uh Blake Trinan decided to be more 2018 than 2019. And uh, that really was the difference in the end of this ballgame where we didn't know who was going to close it out. But I guess I was thinking, okay, is it going to be Bruce Dar? Is he just going to let May go? And then I realized that the manager is probably going to go to the guy who has closed baseball games before and not to Bruce Dar Gratterall, who's like 22 years old. Um, and that's what happened. He went to Blake Trinan, and I know Blake Trinan is one of your favorite stories in all of the land. Again, 2018, he has one of the best relief seasons ever. He looks completely untouchable with Oakland. And then 2019, it was like, well, you're still throwing 99-mile-an-hour bowling balls, but now you suck. Baseball's freaking bizarre. I don't understand that. Ends up on the Dodgers, and then this year, he was basically perfectly in between those two things, where sometimes he looked completely unbeatable, and other times it was like, why do you suck now? I don't understand it. But last night in Game 5, we got closer to 2018 Blake Trinan. And he, he closed it out. And I give me two minutes of why I love Blake Trinan. He is the picture of irrational baseball guy who thinks he's good. He grew up in Kansas. He was throwing 79 miles an hour his senior year of high school. I mean, if you compare that to Tyler Glass now, who's throwing 212 miles an hour his senior year of high school. So he's throwing 79. He doesn't have any offers. He goes to a tiny NAIA school, not even NCAA, at Baker. And he's like, fine. He transfers to Arkansas with no scholarship to try and walk onto the team. He shows up at Arkansas and asks for a tryout, goes in at like the coach's office, like, can I play? Coach doesn't even meet with him. Doesn't even talk to him. Because again, this is just some weird kid who transferred of his own volition from an NAIA program to an SEC program and was like, I'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, like I'm just going to walk onto the team, right? And if you're the coach of the team and you have some random kid you've never heard of showing up to want to play on the team like that probably happens all the time at these schools like these kids who you know think they can play and like part of your job is like you just got to be be like selective uh, no. about that right. so blake trinan doesn't get to meet with the coach he's picked up his whole life to walk onto the team in arkansas like an irrational nut and instead he's like instead of giving up at this point which i would have given up 12 <laughs> turns ago before that right he's like i'm gonna spend this whole semester in the weight room getting enormous so like imagine you're like blake trinan's roommate like sophomore year of college and like yeah like my roommate thinks he's gonna be on the baseball team and like spends all of his time working out like trying to play baseball but he's not good and they won't even let him play what a weirdo right he ends up going he gets a little bigger because he's weightlifting and he gets like um to like a camp and someone sees him throw at the camp and he ends up at South Dakota State 
university and he's like throwing 88 and it's pretty good. And then he bumps up to like 94, 95, 96, 97, and he gets picked uh, by Oakland, right? Originally yeah. in like the seventh or eighth round and, you know, gets traded a couple times and turns into Blake Trinan. And I just, again, 99.999% of people who try and walk on to the Arkansas baseball team with no contact with the coach and then spend the whole year lifting weights. Most of those people just become other things in life. And kudos to Blake Trinan, man. I guess he knew. Like it's really, it is really, really, really something. Um and and again, like he he is, we're talking about like the best versions of all the Dodgers relievers. His is still very, very, yeah. very good. Um, sure. And that is going to be important e- even in these in these last two games. They try to close it out. All right. Let's spin it forward. Let's do game it. Game five is in our rearview mirror. Game six is in front of us. Um, oh, before we continue, game five, good loss for Tampa. Didn't throw a lot of their uh, top relievers. Uh, and a good, I would say a good win for the Dodgers too because they didn't use Brewstar. Yep. Didn't use Brewstar, so he'll be fresh. Uh, Dodgers uh, only right, so they they use Castillo, uh, which is good. But again, Anderson is a problem at this point. We keep referring to him as a top reliever. He's now allowed a run in six consecutive outings, which for a reliever, that is that cannot happen. The whole point is that most relievers, eighty percent of the time, throw up a, throw up a zero. Right? If he's now six in a row allowing a run, yeah, we cannot be calling Nick Anderson the top but reliever. He's, nor, but he's due. But he's due. Oh, that's true. He's due. He's due for a zero. But yeah, so they use Luke Castillo, Sheriff, and Thompson, and they're going to have the off day too. So, uh, so let's talk about Game Six because um, the bullpen, in terms of fresh bullpen, is going to be probably more important for the Dodgers than it is for Tampa uh, because it will be Blake Snell against Tony Gonsolin in Game Six. Now, Blake Snell, we've talked a lot about him uh, on this show because, like Glass now, but even to an even more extreme degree, Tyler Glass now has two unbelievable pitches. And he survives because he's throwing 101 with one of the best curveballs in the universe, even though he doesn't have a third pitch and he has bad command. Blake Snell has four amazing pitches, still the same problem, walks too many guys, too many full counts, but like he's also won a Cy Young. Like he is fully formed one of the best pitchers in the world when he's on. But man, he's going to have to show up and throw at least two more innings than Tony Gonsolin in this game because that is really the advantage that the Rays have. Because ultimately what has become very clear in this World Series is that the Dodgers lineup is so relentless and even in games that they fuck up at the end, they are still looking amazing, especially when they're hitting. Their lineup is so much better than Tampa's, even when some of the Tampa's guys are getting hot, that they have the advantage on offense. And so... They have to take advantage when they have the clear pitching advantage, Snell against Gonsolin, uh, as they did in game two. If Tampa jumps on Gonsolin early, which they've done a couple times, it'll be interesting to see how Kevin Cash manages the bullpen. Because if you got to win game seven the next night, you want to maybe save a couple guys back, but you can't lose game six because then your season's over. Tampa cannot afford a good loss tomorrow <laughs> no, okay we've been all losses this is are bad losses now we we are finally for the first time uh at a point i mean i guess game seven against houston but now is the time where this is there's no there's no good loss that can help you tomorrow there's no tomorrow no. all right so you gotta you gotta get a a bad win or a good win whatever the hell it is it's gotta be a w um and yeah i mean gonsolin i'm just fascinated more curious for them i think snail's just gonna go but like gonsolin i know he hasn't been as good but like Everyone was freaking out because they they haven't let him actually start in the postseason. They're not letting him actually throw into the third inning even, right? So is Dave Roberts going to let him do that? Uh, I'm very curious to see. Jordan, if you're the Dodgers and you're up two runs in the eighth, do you think about Walker Bueller? Oh, man. No, I don't think so. I, I, I think that's... Assuming that that would 100% disqualify him for the next day, no. I, I don't think so. Now... well i was gonna say too like okay so obviously because we saw it with the with the red Sox, you know obviously had chris sale close it out but they were up in the series big and it wasn't as you know it's it wasn't the same thing right they need walker bueller on wednesday right it'll whose throw day would it be it would be urias's throw day right i think urias would 100 he will he is absolutely going to be a huge part of this game because I imagine that they feel better about Bueller getting in deeper 
and only having to cover the bullpen at the end of game seven if it gets that far than for Gonsolin. So I imagine it'll be some combination uh, of Gonsolin and Arias uh, in game six. Are we getting a game seven, Jordan Schusterman? I think we are. I think we both said Dodgers in seven, and I think that's looking pretty freaking good right now <laughs> because yeah. I have to give the edge to Tampa uh, in game six. Um, because the thing about Snell, man, as frustrating as those fifth innings are, and I'm sure it'll happen again, he still looked so freaking good for those four innings. Yeah. And I think he, even if he does that again, I think they're going to be in a great spot. Um, so I do think we are we are getting a seventh game. But of course, you will not hear. From, I mean, I don't know exactly what our podcast plans are. Uh, we'll have to, of course, record refer to that uh, with Bobby Wagner. Um, if we are indeed, you're going to hear from us on Thursday, then the season will be over one way or the other. Um, but man, okay, quickly uh, then, quickly, quickly, yeah. if that's the case, mm-hmm. let's say the Rays win game six. Mm-hmm. Game seven, Charlie Morton coming off a bad start. Walker Bueller coming off a great start. That could just be a classic. That oh like, my God. could be... I'm, well, it's just, also great. I'm just smiling thinking about it. It's also great because, uh, you know, Charlie Morton had his Game 7 heroics against the Dodgers, but he was it was in relief, right? So you flip it uh, against uh, against them this year. And um, that, could really, that could really be something. So I, I do hope we get a Game 7, as we always do, but, but in this particular... A, are we really seeing a Kershaw? Or would we see no, Kershaw in a Game 7? We are not seeing Kershaw. Kershaw is not pit- Kershaw is done. Kershaw has done really? what he needed to do. We are not seeing Kershaw anymore. And That's not. I'm not saying would you use Kershaw, Jordan. That's no, I'm not saying I do not believe that Clayton Kershaw will be pitching anymore this season. I'm saying that. I feel good about that. Whether that means I the Dodgers think, are winning tomorrow, I think there's. Just, I no. think Clayton Kershaw. We see him. If there's a game seven, he is in the bullpen. I yes, yes, he is. He's not coming in the game. <laughs> and and by the way, I'm being so strong about this because I I think that this is how most Dodgers fans feel genuinely, especially ones that have been paying attention. That like you don't you don't want him to come in. You just don't. I don't think you want him to come in. I really don't. Do you want him to come in, Jake Mintz, Mister Number One Kershaw Defender? Yes, I do. Oh, you're you're. Insane. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. Ready? Ready? Here's here's what I want. I want. The Dodgers. I want this game to be close. Game seven. I want to be. I want to be like three, two, or like five to four going into the eighth. I want the Dodgers to put up like three runs in the eighth and go up like they use Kenley in the eighth and like the Dodgers are up like you know seven to three in the ninth and Kershaw throws the ninth and oh, they win the World Series. You're insane. That's what I want. That's, That's what I want. Insane. There is no way. Again, listen. I would be more okay with this if. Again, last year, what how what more do you need to see? Like, I just don't think we're too uh, far enough removed from what happened last year, where he comes in relief and immediately gives up two homers. Like, Dave Roberts is not doing that again. It's just not happening. Do it again. So, do it again. All right, Jake's crazy. All right, that's it. Uh, this was very fun. Very excited to see what we are talking about on this next podcast. Thank you to Bobby Wagner uh, for producing. Thank you to Jake Mintz for recording this with me. Uh, anything else? Yeah, before we go, Jordan, uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Joe Buck because the final play of uh, game four was about as difficult of a baseball play to call as there really is in the world. There's a lot going on. You have to relay it with energy, with verve, with passion, uh, and also explain what's happening. And I don't think we can do that. And so we're going to try and do that. I don't, and I want to make one other point here. Joe Buck, you're so right. Huge credit to him for making that call. It was great. Joe Buck had the luxury of being in the stadium. Now, we saw clips of calls from across the world. Now, during this pandemic, we are you've gotten used to people calling games from Remotely. not the stadium. Um, but like, imagine doing it without actually watching the whole play in front of you as Joe Buck got to do, which is exactly what we are about to attempt and send you off with our calls of the end of game four. Jake Mintz, would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Jansen Wines deals the pitch. Philip, he rips one into right field. That's going to get down. Taylor runs to it and it gets away from Taylor. Kiermaier scores. The game is tied. Taylor hurls it in. Muncy throws it home. A Rosarena falls and the ball gets away. A Rosarena scores and the Rays win. Game four. Brett Phillips, you are Brett Phillips. I forgot to breathe. 
<laughs> forgot to breathe. All right, I'm gonna give, give my best and try to remember to to utilize oxygen, which is very important. Okay. All right, all right. Let me let me hit play here. Okay, here we go. Jansen, the one-two to Phillips. Lined into right center field. Chris Taylor is over. Is it going to be a play at the plate? No. Oh, he botches it. Kiermaier scores. The game is tied. Randy is being sent. The throw home is not caught by Will Smith. He's the catcher. Why did he catch it? Rosarena scores on the race. Have won the game. See, you forgot to breathe, dude. Red Phillips is airplaning around left field, and this series is tied. See you later in the week. We will see you. Okay, bye, everybody. <laughs> we will see you Thursday, Thursday morning. afternoon on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts.